Greetings, all you wonderful Micadelites out there and new Micadelic converts. Greetings to you all. Thank you for joining us for a brand new episode, a great episode with Larry and Carlos from Decriminalized Nature Oakland. They join us for an amazing conversation about their efforts to restore our roots and decriminalize nature, plants, fungi, get back to the freedoms that we once enjoyed before all the restrictions and rules and regulations and hierarchies and power came and disconnected us from our roots of being one with nature, learning from nature, being educated about the benefits of nature and theogenic plants and uh, getting us the proper sort of support, guidance and wisdom about these things and how they've been used in, you know, traditionally for thousands of years and how they're used in our modern context. And with Larry being involved, uh, the founder of Erie Entheogenic Research, Integration, and Education, it's eerievision.org, where they uh, provide um, resources for integration, education, <laughs> entheogens, and uh, research. As they as they say in their name, so great conversation you're going to hear from from them at the top. A short intro from me, hopefully, and um, yeah, basically just want to say thank you to everybody who uh, supports this show. We have 151 five star reviews now on Apple Podcasts. It's amazing. So thank you for the people that go and do that. It helps us have interesting guests like the ones that you're about to hear today and have interesting conversations and talk about the things you guys care about. So if you like the show, if you want to support the show, that's an easy, free, cheap way to do it. Another way to do it is if you have a couple extra Federal Reserve notes laying around, burning some holes in your pocket, throw them my way, throw them towards the show, become a patron. Uh, you go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank and become a uh, a patron there. And then once you get access, you get access to bonus content and uh stickers and t-shirts and things like that and we also have a great chat group from people all kinds of people from all around the world the mycadelic inner sanctum whatsapp chat group and you'll get access to that as well continue this conversation forward i think that's one of the most important things and one of the things that i like a lot is that bringing people together in this community to share trip reports information ask questions tell stories look for uh, some tips advice and those sorts of things um so i'm, I'm happy to have that and uh you know I share resources in there too, like Erie, like Decriminalized Nature, like what they're doing, you know, sharing that in the group, getting the group to talk about that. So it's kind of almost like an extended version of the podcast with more of a collaborative feel to it. And uh, we just keep the conversation going 24 seven. So awesome, awesome stuff there. Got a a lot of great podcasts coming out with some awesome guests. And uh, yeah, that, uh, really looking forward to, to releasing. I have some in the back catalog that I haven't released yet uh, with some people that I did a little while ago, and my apologies for that, but some sometimes you get backed up with these things. They'll re-release soon. Um, yeah, I don't have uh, much else to say. I think that we covered a lot of ground in this conversation. I, I could go on a rant about how important it is you know, that we need freedom, that we need to connect back to nature, you know, all the injustices that have been happening, all the, you know, the, the, (laughs) I guess I am going on now, now I am going on a rant, but uh, no, I'm not, I'm just keeping it short. But, you know, all the problems we face with drug addiction, substance abuse, you know, I just, I went to the premiere of a documentary film last night here in Denver called Dosed about a woman, Vancouver woman struggling with addiction. And she goes in, she has a, 
psilocybin mushroom experiences and then a boga experiences and Gabor Mate's in the film and Rick Doblin's in the film and uh, among many others. It was just a great story, but you know, this is happening on such a large scale. There's such a large problem with the opioid crisis and, you know, addiction and trauma and PTSD and OCD and chronic depression and anxiety and just a lot of the things that we face uh, in this modern world that we've built for ourselves, this world that was built out of this disconnection with nature. Uh, we're, we're seeing that really, uh, you know, the, the cost of that is really very taxing, very, very troubling to a lot of people. and reconnecting with nature, restoring our roots, making these entheogens uh, available, giving people the choice to choose how they wish to interact with the world around them and the natural world especially is one of the most important things. So I'm just so happy that uh, Decriminalized Nature Oakland exists and they're doing this and Decriminalized Denver here is doing this and the vote is coming up on May 7th. So if you haven't voted already, vote yes for initiative 301 to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms in the city and county of Denver, Colorado. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're getting back to what really matters. We're getting back to giving people the option to have healthier, happier lives and to really kind of get back into a better framework for humanity to exist and coalesce with each other, one with, with harmony and respect and, and, uh, and peace and respect for the freedom of an individual to choose what suits them the best. And as Decriminalized Nature Oakland says, support the inalienable human right to develop our own relationship with nature. And that's what's so important. So without further ado, let's get in the conversation. It was a great one. All the links, all the information that you would ever want are in the uh, bio. And um, also, I put in some links to some other podcasts that these guys have been on uh, because uh, we, we, we kind of centered the conversation around Decriminalized Nature Oakland, and then we talked a little bit about Erie. But uh, if you want to hear more about that, there's other shows, there's other resources, and you could always go to their websites and check out more. But it was great talking with these guys. I hope you guys are going to enjoy it too. Thank you to everybody who listens. I really appreciate all the love and support out there. Right back at you. Uh, without further ado. Let's get in the conversation with Decriminalized Nature, Oakland, and Erie uh, with Larry and Carlos. So thank you, guys. Psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Yeah, Larry was just uh, telling me a little bit about you, Carlos. Um, so, uh, yeah, it sounds like you're doing some amazing things in the community and um, and and you know partnering here with uh, with Larry on this uh, quest to bring some uh, peace and harmony back to civilization. I know Erie. I've been following them for a little while, and so I'd love to learn a bit about uh, what you're involved with. Yeah. So, uh, 
I used I used to work in politics uh, for uh, about eight years, actually a little longer. Um, uh, primarily here in Oakland, moved to Oakland in 1998, uh, and um, worked with uh, the congressional office for a while. Worked with the city council office for a while. I was the uh, chief of staff to the council president while Jerry Brown was mayor. Um, my boss at the time was the council president. So we passed a bunch of legislation. I left uh, that office in 2006, started my own development services company. My um, master's is in environmental science. My bachelor's is in biology and anthropology. I lived for three months in the Ecuadorian rainforest. Did, uh, my first ayahuasca journey to the extent that's relevant when I was 23 in the rainforest um, and um, with a curandero there. So um, interesting connection there. That was with the Ashwata tribe. Um, and uh, yeah, so the environmental um, sustainability and social justice has always been a part of my background. I was a community organizer for a while as well before I got into politics. So as I got into the world of building and construction, um, I did it primarily out of the desire to be creative and build build physical spaces. <clears throat> and slowly over time, I began to infuse those physical spaces with uh, aspects of sustainability. So we did, we, and um, historic preservation. So we had a uh, triple bottom line approach to our construction projects, which included uh, sustainability and historic preservation, social good and, and um, sustainability, as well as profit. Uh, and then uh, most recently, I've started projects that um, look at spiritual um, uh, values as well. So quadruple bottom line now approach to development. Uh, and um, so that's sort of my background in terms of my work on in the world of um, decriminalizing nature. It just happened because I had an experience that was very profound. And I found this community here in Oakland, which is a tremendous community. And um they, they were interested in um, advancing the cause of decriminaliz decriminalization. And since I had been involved in the cannabis decrim process, uh, I offered to help. And that's how I got here. Ah, amazing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, such a, a missing part of the political, um, you know, es establishment or, or wing sometimes. You know, it's like our, our, our spirituality aspect of the, of our humanness gets, uh, left out of the equation and it seems to be a big part of the equation, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, Larry, uh, I, I've been following Erie vision on, uh, <laughs> on Instagram. So, uh, that's, that's kind of, I think how I first became aware of you guys. I, I saw a post that you made that, uh, that said like, why is nature illegal? And I was just like, yeah, why? Yeah. That's a great question. So I've just been following you ever since. And, and it's funny because that's, that was kind of my end. So it's just like, I, I only know you like really through Instagram, which is weird. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, uh, the modern dilemma, right? We get to know each other through little posts and memes and things like that. And then uh, have a different conversation when we're in real life. But I think, I think if memes are done well or posts are done well, there's the core sort of element, the core philosophies are kind of buried in there. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, Larry, would you like to say a little bit about yourself right now? I mean, I know a little bit about you. I'm happy to just kind of roll into the podcast right now if you want. No, I mean, I could, I could say a little blip. Um, cool. You know, uh, I grew up in uh, Michigan area outside Detroit, um, went to school in Ann Arbor, studied, you know, biopsychology and neuroscience and 
after a semester of uh, rat uh, experiments, I was like, did I just spend four years to torture animals for the rest of my life? <laughs> <laughs> trouble. trouble. So, uh, so I did a nice little sabbatical for about 11 years, moved to Hawaii, got sort of, uh, you know, in a different mindset. Obviously, the Detroit to Hawaii transition is pretty drastic. So it was nice to kind of get a chance to really connect with myself in a different way. Um, obviously, through this time in my college years, I was experimenting and exploring with different psychedelics. Uh, um, you know, wrote a paper that somebody, you know, I hadn't read Terrence McKenna at the time, but they're like, this kind of sounds like the stoned ape theory. I wrote it for my evolution class. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, interesting. So I started like getting interested. Parallel thinking. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Introduced to sort of Terrence McKenna's work. Uh, and then, uh, when I, when I kind of left Michigan, uh, went to, um, Hawaii, I kind of was focused on uh, psychedelics and entheogens and just how it relates to consciousness, but I hadn't kind of jumped into the, the spiritual aspect. I was still thinking higher self. I was still thinking. You know neurons and all that type of thing neurology and uh and then as we um about over that course of that time i went and started doing some ayahuasca down in brazil with uh, luis eduardo luna who was where terence McKenna actually wrote one of his first books at luis uh, eduardo luna's place so um so that was pretty great to make sort of these big connections and he's really you know super humble facilitator and you know really focused on the educational perspective and that type of thing so uh after I kind of explored that and was kind of blown away by the the difference, the variation from my, you know, pretty deep mushroom experiences I was having to ayahuasca experience, which was like a whole nother ball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I decided to go back to school and study some more. So I went to uh, California Institute of Integral Studies, which is one of the few places that you could actually study because I was in 2009 when I started up again, um, studied that. And so I uh, went to school there and about 2011, we realized like, wow, we have all these people in our classes that are doing this really great research, but there's no outlet right now to talk about it to the general public. So a group of us came together, formed Erie, started off as a student group. Uh, at some point in time, we were filling the CIS rooms at like 120 people every single event we had. And some mm. people were like, what's happening over here? Because nice. as, as, as open as CIS has been, there was a period of time, there was a lull where there was definitely like a little bit of a, oh, you know, that's it's too risky, you know, because CIS is already talking about a little bit more controversial topics and spirituality and isn't necessarily looked upon through the mainstream academic lens as like a, an official school because they're dealing with unmeasurable topics, qualitative <laughs> research. Right. Topics spirituality and then you know it's as a side note it's funny you see something uh you know is it columbia columbia is this uh this uh uh i think it was columbia is like columbia is doing this uh groundbreaking new uh, um approach to looking at psychology oh by the way cis has been doing this for 50 years but yo columbia wow look at this <laughs> you know it's like right wait a second. <laughs> so uh so that's been pretty great and then since erie's been evolving it's just been kind of this natural uh, emergence you know in the bay area we have amazing you know group community here group, group of communities here that you know are touching on the topic people that come through the area just because it's the bay area so um so we started hosting speakers we probably hosted over 140 different speakers on educational topics we probably we've also started to sort of uh engage with um integration groups so starting to really develop the peer integration model in 2011 and we've probably held you know 60 70 some integration circles over the course of the many years by now you know try and hold it about 10 to 12 people per circle an opportunity for people to share experiences and just really hear the depth of people's experiences and also appreciate the wisdom that people bring 
you know, instead of just being like, I'm the facilitator and I'm going to tell you how it is. It's like, okay, everyone offers reflections. Everyone's part of this community. We're all students when it comes to these experiences. So uh, it's just a, a slightly different approach than some of the typical <laughs> models. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so that's been really great to see develop as well. And we've done, you know, some uh, post-conference workshop at MAPS. We sold like, what, I think almost close to 200 tickets for that, sold it out um, and a couple other things as well. So um, so that's been developing really well. And, you know, just in the Bay Area alone, since we started this, there's probably, you know, four or five different groups doing integration circles and things like that. So that's also a nice uh, sense of the need, you know, if, if other groups are forming and starting and being able to exist for a couple of years at a time, uh, just on this topic of integration. So it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that integration is really critical to this, but it wasn't really being addressed publicly. And now I think it is being addressed a little bit more. So that's been uh, really awesome to see. And so this DNO initiative is like the, the, the penultimate integration, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we're actually taking all the things we're learning, we're applying it to community, we're applying it to policy, we're applying it to you know education, all these different types of things. So, and how do we make it work in our world that we live in day to day? How do we not go off to some exotic place or somewhere in the middle of you know nowhere to have our you know uh, connections to spirit? But how do we do it in the city, in the rawness of community, mm-hmm. the rawness of you know? Oakland and all that type of thing. And I think that's really valuable for what we're doing. Ah, amazing. Amazing. I, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of just blown away a little bit because I, I recently just had this, uh, you know, profound kind of re- remembering or reminder of just how amazing of a time it is that we live in and recorded a little intro to my last podcast about how the internet and psychedelics, you know, converging at the same time uh, together really, you know, connecting people, allowing for more of uh, awareness and education about these things, giving people more opportunities to have these experiences, and then offering resources to then integrate those, slowly building this over time. And now we're, we're seeing this kind of collective manifestation of this consciousness come to fruition. And it's truly an amazing thing to see. You know, it, it's... Um, sort of uh it's it's so uh nice for me to have that realization because i think initially i was very militant and aggressive in my approach to what i believed in you know liberty cognitive liberty freedom you know this is ridiculous this is a crime you know very kind of aggressive in my manner of 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 fighting against something and it just reminds me of this buckminster fuller quote that i love so much where it says in order to change things don't fight against the current paradigm you know, build a new model that makes the old model obsolete. And I really think that's what's going on here. I'd like to believe that. I think that's what I see. And just by, you know, being a part of what's happening here in Denver and knowing things are happening elsewhere around the country, you know, in Oregon and other places and with you guys and seeing the work that you're doing and what you've built with Erie um, and watching the testimonial videos on the Decriminalized Nature page and hearing those stories from people, you know, this is, um, this is exciting. This is very exciting. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to uh, take a moment to give a shout out to Donald Trump for galvanizing the uh, <laughs> consciousness awakening moment. Uh, yeah. I'll also just uh, add one thing so that we uh, make sure we really plug this into our, our effort here today, our podcast, is that um, what is really unique, and I think Larry certainly touched on this, but I'd like to um, give it a little bit more energy is, What's unique about the Oakland uh, DNO uh, campaign is just the focus on creating roots deep into the Oakland community, coupled with the um, decriminalization, the legislative decriminalization, right? So 
at the state, federal level, as people work to decriminalize various uh, plants and uh, antigenics or, or, or what would be known as drugs, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> it's it's uh, also important to be doing the facilitation work to get into the communities that are most impacted by uh, injustice, by histories of colonialism. Um, and, and so that's the work we're doing as well. So a sort of two-pronged approach, going deep into our communities, building capacity within the African-American community of Oakland, the Hispanic community of Oakland, Asian community of Oakland, building the kinds of relationships we need, need to do to build a sustainable long-term effort of creating that uh, consciousness awakening process that every city and every corner of the world will need while we're also looking upwards and, um, and, and getting legislation passed or resolutions passed that would protect this work on the ground. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Carlos. Um, this is uh, this is amazing. You know, this you, you joked about. Thank you for Donald Trump, but really, you know, a uh, sort of collective shadow has risen here that we need to deal with. And you know, uh, as I was talking about before, how I said that I used to view this kind of separation, fighting against something. You know, really, we're looking at all of humanity as being one whole thing that needs to be integrated. And we see this shadow rising. And now is the, the time, I think, that we need to collectively uh, work to integrate this. Yeah, we're certainly seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm interested uh, because you guys are running a uh, educational campaign to decriminalize nature. Which I just think is fantastic, right? Because uh, you're cutting to the core and really proposing the question to people: Why is nature illegal? Why are we cut off from nature? Why are we sending people to jail, tearing families apart, and ruining communities because we're alienating ourselves from this one sacred connection that we used to have with nature? That's the way that I interpret it. Maybe you guys can explain it a little bit more as to, uh, you know, I think I was uh, watching a YouTube video how you kind of formed and came together. You mentioned that you all just happened to be in the same room at the same time and, um, you know, started talking and went on for hours and really were talking about these things. I, I'm wondering, you know, the formation of decriminalized nature. Can you walk me through that a little bit? What were some of the thoughts? What were some of the concerns? What were some of the issues that, that got brought up uh, that you guys mulled over, debated, and, and thought about? I'd love to, to know that. Carlos, you want to go on this one? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, it was actually an um, <laughs> interesting process. On my, I'll tell it from my perspective going in, and then I think Larry can certainly share it from his. But I had an amazing journey on, um, on uh, October 20th, and uh, that was a plant-based experience after spending 35 years of trying to wake up, so to speak, uh, and, and, um, and just finally needing that extra push. And I had this incredible experience with an antigenic plant, fungi, and, um, and, and I had to, under, and the, the experience was so extreme for me that I, uh, so awesome that I had to figure out what was happening to me. So I started digging around and, and looking up um, uh, communities in the Bay Area that, that would um, help explain the scientific process that occurred. And I, there I ran into um, Robert Stanley, um, Sacred Garden Community, um, and, uh, and he plant talk and explained a bit of the uh, science behind it, which was 
fascinating. And there I learned about a community that existed, um, San Francisco Psychedelic Society, Erie, Sacred Garden Community. And I learned that there is this tremendous underground community here in the Bay Area, and particularly in Oakland, that is really, uh, has been for decades advancing this work of integration and facilitation. Um, we had a meeting just to say hello to each other. I gave them a tour of our facility here in, in uh, 30th and Telegraph, which is a consciousness co-living, co-working community that we're building. And so we all just gathered around to discuss the future here on the site. And someone, um, it was about 12 people who showed up. It was just sort of spontaneous, Larry and, um, and uh, others. And one of the uh, participants said, after I told them I'd worked in politics for a while, um, hey, why don't we uh, why don't we do a decriminalization effort? And everyone sort of said, yeah, that'd be fun. And we sort of let it go as we continue to do introductions. But at the end, that person persisted and said, why don't we seriously? Why don't we do this? And I said, if you know, if you all are in, then I'm in. And everybody said we're in. And then it sort of happened from there spontaneously. But the way it all came together was all very serendipitous to begin with. People just showing up on this day that uh, had no real agenda. Uh, and from there, it sort of rolled. We created a steering committee. The steering committee concluded that whatever we do, however we move forward, we, we'll always come from a place of, of love as the core value that drives us, since that's one of the things that we get from our uh, psychedelic experiences is, is the uh, core essence of that as um, a dominant value in, in helping heal society. And so we decided that would be our core value that we would always pivot around. and. Um, and so that that was the beginning. And that was in, I think, December of uh, 2018, maybe January of 19. Yeah, so it's been happening pretty quickly, which I think is what's also been beautiful and speaks to both what Carlos was speaking about, the sort of long term uh, sort of in parallel process has been going on in the Bay Area community, Oakland specifically. You know, Oakland is home of like the biggest psychedelic conference in the world with uh, psychedelic science every, every couple of years. So um, it's kind of a natural place besides, uh, you know, uh, the actual underground community, but also people recognizing it above ground as well. And what's really great about this sort of community meeting is all coming together and yeah, just the synergy of, of a group of people that all have different skill sets. And then you put everyone in the same room with the same vision, with the same sort of pivot point of love and our core value and, and things just kind of develop from there. And so, um, so it's been really a, a privilege to be able to, to work with everybody on this because of this and just feeling like everyone has uh, different skill sets that, you know, we can all help each other with. And so from there, we kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're in parallel like uh, as Carlos was saying earlier, sort of this deep dive into the roots of Oakland while also looking upwards towards policy. So our first event we kind of uh, put together was really great. That was the event you were talking about with the testimonials. Uh, I think we had like 170, 180 people show up, you know, for our first event, which isn't bad and also speaks to this huge community of people that are behind this. We had eight different tables that were um, um, also co-sponsoring action tables, so writing letters to uh, council members or silk screening or educational tables or things like that. Uh, we had a beautiful canvas by Chor Boogie who kind of uh, set the backdrop for it as help help us canvas, uh, which was really nice too. And, you know, I think the key with, with this too that we were talking about is, you know, we have the community here in Oakland. <laughs> So to go just kind of with the one, the one psilocybin, which is great, and philosophy mushrooms, which, you know, it's fantastic that it's happening. But we were, we were worried, A, that, you know, uh, it might sort of fragment a community that's already kind of uh, maybe isolated. And so we wanted to bring everyone together in that regard. And also that I think uh, in general, 
uh, we're really talking about accessibility a lot. And so there's some concern with, you know, Compass Pathways and some of these other organizations that are, you know, charging seven to $10,000 a gram for uh, synthetic psilocybin that, you know, people that might need access might get kind of uh, pushed out of the market, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we were trying to find ways, well, how can we, how can we do this where people can grow their own, where people can have access, where people can, you know, go to their community members or their friends instead of maybe medical practitioner or therapist who might not have, um, you know, uh, the same sort of understanding of community that somebody in their own community would have. So, um, so yeah, so all these elements are really important to this, this bigger idea of decriminalized nature and to speak about it as nature, like you said, it kind of focuses on these right away you're like what does that even mean decriminalized nature you know and and within that there's also this this idea of fragmentation that we're also nature you know right. so that so that we you know sort of so so just that tagline alone has been really great to sort of strategize around and really understand the deeper meanings of it as as our own personal core community but also talking to other people about it because it speaks to you know the prohibition of entheogenic plants it speaks to our relationship to nature over the course of time it speaks to millennia of, of decolon- you know, colonization of plants and decolonizing nature which has happened well before the 50 years of uh, you know drug prohibition in the u.s so mm-hmm. um so it's a, a really big conversation we're trying to have while at the same time sort of focusing locally yeah excellent and um how are you guys being received well, I think it uh, depends on the receiver for sure. Uh, now, I, I guess I can speak to a few different receivers. One, there are those who are doing this work already in the community and that we are uh, supporting through our efforts. And of course, we're being received by them very well um, because we're trying to create a, a, an umbrella or a, uh, I suppose, a force field of safety here around our city for them. And hopefully that grows to become the state and eventually. You know, it gets enough momentum in the U.S. and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> by the elected officials, there is certainly a learning process. And when we talk about decriminalizing nature, it certainly causes a lot of people to wonder and scratch their head about what that means. Um, but once we explain to them that I can grow all the oranges I want, but for some reason there's, uh, uh, I've been restricted from growing, say, my own medicinal mushrooms, even though they've been around, magic mushrooms, even though they've been around for millennia people begin to ask the question, yeah, that is curious. Why is that? So it's a big educational process with respect to elected officials because we're undoing 50 years of uh, conditioning of um, people telling us that these things are bad. Uh, With respect to the broader statewide levels, as Larry mentioned, there are those who would choose to decriminalize the specific compounds. Uh, There are those who would choose to decriminalize quote unquote all drugs and we support it all but our particular cause is really about our relationship to nature and looking at this from an ecosystem approach that is we're all connected it's all connected when we start to disconnect things from each other is when we get into what led us here to begin with um, that process of um, um, no longer recognizing the interconnectedness of everything. So we're trying to keep that path in our focus of the the interconnectedness. So even at the statewide level, there's um, varying um, levels of, um, I guess, um, understanding of what we're trying to achieve. Nice. Yeah. And 
you mentioned that it's really the focus on nature. So you guys aren't getting involved with um, synthetic substances. It's uh, plants, fungi, nature, and leaving it to that. Uh, and uh, the conversation that unfolds around that uh, with people that may never have considered that notion before, uh, do they understand that... or? Let me try and rephrase this better. Like, do do are how is that going with the conversation of trying to kind of decipher drugs from nature and and plants? Is that you know because you made a good point about I can grow all the oranges I want, but I can't for some reason grow these uh, certain kinds of mushrooms, right? Uh, but there is this sort of long-standing, I don't know if you want to call it puritanical kind of way of thinking, colonizer, imperial way of thinking of, well, we don't, you know, as Graham Hancock says, like, we don't favor the alt these altered states of consciousness. We favored this alert, present state of consciousness, this rational sort of field of, of consciousness. Um, it, so I'm wondering, is that is that a... Uh, is there is there something there with that too with this resistance from or the resistance that you might face from on the educational front with people? Larry, may I uh, take yes, this? Give you the baton. Yeah, please. Uh, you say give me the baton. Is that what you said? Uh, may, may I take this one? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, really, what we're doing is we're going after about three hundred years, perhaps more of um, I suppose more of. Uh, uh, a greater societal force is changing our relationship with, with nature. And the intention behind that change has really been the monetization of the world, right? We've, we've changed the human experience on planet Earth to be one from integration with, with the planet and the ecosystem to detachment in order to fill a role providing services uh, that enables industry to grow. So it, it's had its benefit, but in that process, we've, we've suffered many ailments, depression, PTSD, um, it, all the things that come from detachment. So we're taking that head on within the context that we now are in the face of serious climate change. Our, our relationship to the planet, the planet to sustain us as species is at risk. And we're having that conversation globally. But we really need to talk about how it happened and how we rewind uh, things a bit to look at the very beginnings of our relationship with this planet and our relationship with the plant world and the natural world is fundamental to our continued successful evolution on this planet. And that means reestablishing our relationship with these plants that we have co-evolved with. So at the core, that's the conversation we want to have. Yes, there are compounds like LSD and others that, that um, have benefit for PTSD and depression and other ailments. Uh, and yes, we should have that conversation and others will have that conversation. We're trying to have a very clear conversation about our relationship with the natural world and, and what it means to be human on planet Earth. Amazing. Yeah, and, and, and real quick, just to uh, touch on one thing that might get missed is um, I really like the Carlos's sort of uh, metaphor of looking at these as something that we can vegetables or fruits that we grow in our own yard. And actually, I've seen I've seen a recent movement, too, around cannabis where people are talking about. Uh, treating it like vegetables and not like alcohol and to get the government out of uh, sort of our relationship to this nature. So it seems like that conversation is also starting to bubble up. So it's really nice to be kind of right at the forefront of, of having that conversation and not only just talking about, you know, our relationship to nature, but also 
how we don't need a gatekeeper to have that relationship. With right. Yes. 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 Um, well, this is great because I think I have a deeper understanding of where you guys are coming from now. And I, it's a beautiful one. It's a beautiful vision. And it's, it's in my opinion, the correct one, uh, you know, really with a lot of roots, right? And hopefully it spreads like the mycelial network does. And I think I see that, that happening as well. So it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. You know, a lot of the, um, a, a lot of the times when we're presenting the value of entheogens and psychedelics and uh, altered states of, of consciousness uh, induced by other substances that uh, we're, we're trying to, and we see this happening with MAPS, you know, Johns Hopkins and uh, the Imperial College of London, the Beckley Foundation, you know, all over the world, there's amazing organizations doing great work that's presenting uh, the research and how this is helping veterans with PTSD and depression. And, you know, look at these uh, stats and uh, trying to, you know, really kind of put this into the poke this into the reality tunnels of the, uh, you know, scientifically minded uh, material reductionist uh, types of, of people, making it more digestible, more palatable, saying this, these are healing things here. These are substances. These are medicines. I know you guys are doing that too. And I know you see the value in that. But you're speaking about something deeper here, in my opinion. You know, you're really talking about getting us back to, you know, really a, a way of life that is more in alignment with the human spirit, with what, what you said, Larry, earlier, that we are nature. I'm not sure if you guys, po- maybe you guys posted this. You said, uh, I saw this on Instagram. Um, we're not defending nature. We are nature and we're defending ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen that before too. It wasn't our post, but I do like that one. Yeah. Yeah, so I wonder if you could go a little bit deeper into the implications that this has on the community level, right? Because especially, you know, being in in Oakland and, you know, what Oakland's been through and, you know, some of the challenges that they face in their communities and, you know, with Silicon Valley right there and the gentrification and all this, you know, kind of monetization and, uh, I don't know, maybe co-opting of uh, sort of... Uh, authentic and uh, true message um, that we see. And uh, I know people bring this up too when they talk about the kind of how Burning Man has changed into this sort of, you know, Google uh, tech thing or whatever. But uh, maybe you guys could talk a little bit about the environment there, the community, and how this kind of ties in to really lift the community up, you know, and maybe also uh, some someone, you know, addressing uh, a question someone might have like, whoa, well, you want to make all drugs legal. We've had enough drug problems here in Oakland. Like we don't need any more or something like that. So maybe if you could speak to something around that, I know it's kind of a big question and a little convoluted. I apologize for that. I would say um, uh, real briefly, just on the second part of that question is that um, that is something that obviously we're kind of trying to navigate the, the um, all drugs or the narratives that people understand or, you know, how, how do we present what we're presenting with this bigger conversation sort of embedded into the policy as well? And um, <clears throat> I think that's one thing, you know, our, our focus is on all schedule one plants and fungus. So for example, poppy and coca are schedule two, surprisingly. Um, and so those wouldn't be included in this. And um, at least some of the people that we've spoken with in Oakland seem to be relieved about that. Uh, they seem to be relieved that uh, LSD isn't on the topic. They seem to be relieved that some of these other ones aren't on there. Um, so, uh, that allows us to have a conversation also using the word entheogen versus psychedelic. It allows us to sort of start anew. 
start afresh, uh, re- redefine the words that might have a lot of baggage to them uh, for communities that have been, you know, sort of responding to the long history of San Francisco as well. Um, and also, I think another thing, too, on a sort of the first part of your topic was that, you know, uh, how this helps the communities, you know, there was a uh, Kuvakiri uh, was on a podcast with us uh, on Eric Davis the other day, and he was speaking about how it's not so much that it changes depression or cures depression. It allows us to change our narrative. And so that's such a big thing. We're really talking about revolutionizing mental health with this is that, you know, it's not necessarily that, uh, you know, there's a magic, magic pill mushroom is going to cure depression. It allows us to see all the things that are making us depressed. It, it's a bigger conversation that's happening. And so that's also one thing about the reductionist kind of worldview is it does kind of get right to the point of this does help cure but it also doesn't really speak to why it is that that's happening. Mm, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, touching on that, changing the narratives, being able to get out of the the mindset of we've been told this our whole life and, oh, actually we can do something new. It's really easy to just kind of hop over. So some of these aspects, some of these medicines, or I should say antigens, uh, allow this opportunity for us to have these new insights, for these new profound experiences that give us a, a new chance or a new hope to see a new way, um, which I think right now, because everything's about narrative, uh, it's so powerful to be able to have uh, control of our narrative and be able to empower ourselves to to develop our own narratives. And so I think that's sort of an underlying thing to a lot of this, um, you know, research studies that you see at Imperial and Johns Hopkins and, and NYU and such is that, you know, when we're talking about curing depression or helping heal depression, there's, a, again, a bigger conversation that needs to happen around that. And so I hopefully, uh, I hope that that will come here too, as we sort of build these parallel organizations, uh, the Haven, which uh, Carlos is working on with this community center, live-in community center. Uh, we're also maybe looking at doing a trade school as well. So develop some sort of educational stuff around integration and also teaching people about these different things and then get to these deeper conversations about why it is that it cures depression or anxiety or PTSD or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wonder uh, about also sort of, you know, generational community trauma that, that can occur, um, you know, especially in, in underserved areas and underrepresented populations. And, you know, I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately about how, you know, if the psychedelic movement wants to be a leader in the field, that we really have to um, work hard to try and represent everyone and try and and make these, try and introduce these substances into areas where maybe people don't really know about them and know about their benefits, and but that could potentially help them greatly and help, uh, you know, heal individuals that will then uh, magnify to a collective community healing, uh, potentially generational healing as well. So uh, I'm wondering, how, how is it looking in terms of uh, the diversity of, of the population and their receptivity to this and, and getting involved and participating? And um, what does that look like out there? Yeah, I would say that's a, the, one of the um, biggest uh, priorities of ours is ensuring we support continued um, uh, practices and in, encourage uh, the growth of, of practices um, within those communities. So there is a strong um, African-American uh, facilitation group that's emerging, uh, coalescing, and with the intention of bringing these um, uh, healing psychedelic opportunities into the uh, African-American community of Oakland. There is a long tradition in uh, the Americas of doing uh, these practices, mostly in um, South America, some in Mexico. Uh, and so we're having discussions about how to now bring that into the immigrant communities here in Oakland. 
Um, each time, though, that we do that, it, it there's two, and we've talked about this recently. There's we're balancing two dynamics. There's the historical aspect of it, <clears throat> which uh, has long traditions in Africa and the Americas, in Europe, uh, but then there's also the current uh, cultural uh, experience within those communities, and it has to be relevant in both, right? So we can't bring traditional um, Mexican practices from the rainforest of Mexico and drop it into an immigrant community in Oakland and expect it to be received with great understanding. It has to have its relevance in today's culture, including today's technologies, including today's experience, mass media experience, uh, for it to truly be uh, something that enables people to embrace it and use it as, as an opportunity to, to, to heal and expand consciousness. So um, we're embracing that head on. I'd say that's probably our highest priority because if we don't get that right, then it's not something that can um, grow and permeate um, in other communities. Yeah, and I'm wondering maybe if you guys could just share a little bit of the history of this and, um, you know, how sort of... Uh, you know, certain policies and attitudes, uh, behaviors and beliefs have, have shaped this, uh, you know, uh, war on drugs and this uh, criminalization of um, nature. Um, if, uh, if, if you could speak to that uh, and, and share a little bit about the, the background of, of that and how these, these policies have emerged and affected people and, uh, and where the opportunity stands today to, um, you know, be introduced to a potential opportunity to, to come together, to heal, to find community. That would be, that'd be great. I would just say that uh, just maybe from a, from a, an ancient historical perspective, you know, um, the church and other places haven't been very uh, um, uh, sympathetic to plant practices or pagan practices or other practices, uh, uh, you know, throughout the entire world, you know, European practices were probably demolished first. Um, my family's from Finland originally, and that's been something that's, uh, you know, always been a battle with, uh, you know, a longstanding tradition of sort of medicine people. And then all of a sudden, uh, sort of the incoming of uh, the, the church kind of capacity, which is saying, you know, these things aren't, aren't any good. Um, um, so so uh, between, you know, all of this colonization that's been happening well before the, the, the last 50 years or so, um, through Europe, through Central and South America, uh, through Mexico, through the United States, or through the Americas in general, through um, you know Europe and everywhere, uh, I think that's really um, something to, to consider. Is that um, you know so many different people have access or have lineages that were at one time accessing these plants for sacred experiences, for healing, for um, you know traditional connection, and for integrating between communities and that type of thing. And so that's a really big part. Um, and I know I think. Uh, Carlos can probably speak a little bit more to this more recent um, scenario, but, you know, I think uh, there's the, the war on drugs with uh, opium back in the 1930s or 1910s, I should say, in California. And then we started with uh, uh, marijuana, the, the reefer madness, which is like, I think, the late 30s, if I'm remembering that right. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it started with the Marijuana Stamp Tax Act. Uh, and then we had in the, the 70s, which is where the um, Controlled uh, Substances Act came in with Nixon, and that was pretty clear. Uh, through one of Nixon's associates recently, that mm -hmm. it was more about, um, you know, ending uh, people's uh, anti-war agendas. So going into hippie populations, according to the quote, hippie populations in black communities. Right, that, right. Uh, yes, that was, uh, I believe, uh, John Ehrlichman. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. We had to criminalize their behaviors. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Carlos, do you want to continue on? Yeah, well, just sort of grounding it in, in um, local politics, uh, since all politics are local. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll sort of start from there. We had a, some meetings with some local offices. It's interesting because the more that you meet, the closer you get to the ground of communities of color and their elected officials, the more uh, undoing of the fear and anxiety from the war on drugs has to happen through the educational process. And, and what I mean by that is that those folks who are representing uh, communities of color, uh, particularly African-American communities, uh, since it's probably been the most impacted by the war on drugs, um, the love of community also creates the fear of the impact of drugs. And that's been generated in the last 50 years. And so to undo that uh, fear uh, is, is really a lot of um, effort and mm. it's worth it, right? Because we're talking about human beings here. So yeah. going through this process, um, we, we have to focus that there's a lot of energy that has to go into meeting with uh, leaders in the African-American community, in the immigrant community, in the uh, uh, Hispanic communities, and uh, put in the time and the effort to educate on, uh, folks on the benefits of, of these uh, plants and fungi. Uh, if we look at the tra trajectory of humanity over the last thousand years, uh, we've seen a lot of good things happen. This whole process of industrialization, of uh, commodification has led to a decrease in, in infant mortality and better, better health, uh, less getting eaten by predators, that kind of thing. So, um, so there's benefits to it, but we now find ourselves at a point where um, we have to undo the damage that was done by, um, in the last in the 20th century by the war on drugs. And so our general position as uh, DNO is we do recognize that the whole war on drugs, drugs in general, are a public health issue where it gets to abuse, where it gets to self-medication and addiction uh, because of um, the use of drugs and alcohol and any other thing that people use to sedate. Um, that is a public health issue. It's not a criminal issue. Um, and, and so we recognize that. But with respect to the plants that we're organizing around, plants and fungi we're organizing around, the reason that we're cho choosing this is because it helps the process of awakening as well to have people question um, some of the, uh, the dynamics that have happened for the last couple hundred years, at least. Yeah. But grounding it really, it really is um, at a concrete level about fear and dealing with the fear that exists in our communities. Yeah. Yeah. And it has been going on for such a long time. Uh, it's, 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 it's strange. It's, it's, it's like we've, uh, as humanity, as, as this collective human species that we are, it seems that we've been through a period of time in our, uh, in our history where we've kind of just been like locked in our room with our head down, drinking coffee, like, you know, trying to write a paper or something, you know, we're just like so focused on like building something and, and we've left out, we haven't went outside. We've left out the, you know, we forgot to take a break, you know, go inward, think we're just kind of on this, this course. Uh, but, uh, but now, you know, we, we see that, uh, that's not serving us. You know, and that's that's actually causing a lot of suffering, a lot of problems. And like you said, you know, we we turn to these other things that our society endorses, uh, alcohol and you know, caffeine and you know the kind of cultural message that gets that's gets put out there. Uh, and it's a challenge to 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 undo that. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting that we sort of I don't know if I like we sort of had to go there to get here. You know what I mean? 
Well, yeah, whether we had to or not, here we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm looking at it in terms of like, you know, I've, I've drank ayahuasca quite a few you know, a bunch. And, uh, and I, so I kind of had a tendency to view everything in terms of a ceremony, you know, and, and so I'm looking at this as like a, sometimes a, a challenging point in a ceremony where it's time to confront, look and, uh, heal. And, you know, Erie focuses on this, this integration, uh, model. And really, I think, you know, I mentioned this before, I think that's where we're, where we're at right now. Um, but I was wondering, uh, Larry, if you could you know, we've been talking about uh, decriminalized nature and and what you guys are doing. Maybe before we sort of transition a little bit, I, I'd like to just kind of get your your final words or like pitches about decriminalized nature. Um, really, you know, uh, kind of solidifying what it stands for, and then just maybe telling people how they can support and get involved. Uh, sure, definitely. Um, you know, I think that there's uh, see my final pitch on decriminalized nature. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nike. Uh-oh, no, commodified. I think, Damn it. <laughs> I, you know, I think, I think you know, all, all the things that we've touched on here, uh, the, the biggest thing for me is when I think about decriminalized nature, what our agenda is, what our intentions are. It's really about, you know, key, key thing, accessibility. That's really key, making sure that people who have need access can have access. Uh, also, to not commodify the sacred plants. So finding out models and methods for us to do like collectives or things like that. So people can hold each other, but not necessarily have to put the, the capital around the plant itself or the fungus itself. Another thing too, that I think is important is to, um, to differentiate with what's happening with cannabis, that if it's not medical, it's recreational. And another thing that we're doing here is we're speaking to a lot of different other ways than just the recreational medical dialectics. So we're talking about education and spiritual and sacred and creativity and all these other, you know, community healing, these types of things. Um, so I think that's also critical to what we're doing here. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think for me, um, you know, nature can't be put into a laboratory because it's too messy. It has to be the single component, right? Nature can't be patented because it's not a single component. So a lot of these things too um, are, are relevant to the conversation. It allows us to uh, sort of detach from this, uh, this other model. Like you said, the, the Bucky Fuller, we're sort of uh, creating this new model, which is an old model. So we're just sort of reconnecting back to the old model again, um, which is also nice. You know, I think there's also a sense of like the history here. It's like, we're not like creating a new wheel. We're not trying to do anything uh, outlandish. We're just sort of saying, hey, you know, why can't we have this relationship with nature? So, um, so for me, my pitch would be to say, you know, like uh, to open up these opportunities for people to reconnect with nature. Not that everyone needs to do this because that's not the case, but that it should be available for people who do want to explore and um, heal and, uh, and find new meaning or new narratives in their life. Um, and then through that, um, really looking at like, how do we, uh, to make it happen. And I think that's for me, you know, the decriminalized nature policy is very, very important. Obviously we're working on that hard, but for me, it's almost like that's the, when you get to the starting line is when the policy shifts, because then we can do the education, then we can do the outreach, then we can do the training, then we can do a lot of these other things which are happening, but now we can be a little bit more above ground about it, be a little bit more vocal about it and connect more people with it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and safer too, because you yeah. don't have to worry about, you know, the set and setting is so important as we know. And even, you know, obviously people are doing these things no matter if they're illegal or not. Right. We, and, and so, you know, but there's still that lingering background thing that affects the, the set and setting. Like what if, you know, I get thrown in jail? What if, you know, this, you know, something happens. So get eliminating that aspect really frees 
up people to come into a uh, a, a nicer space. Um, so yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. And there's actually a couple papers that talk about that about how the set and setting of legality or illegality can actually uh, hinder your healing experience. So just right. The, back of the mind kind of thing, like, oh, I might get arrested for this can be pretty critical for being able to heal or not. Right. Yeah. And, and so, Carlos, uh, for you, where, where, what do you see this looking like as it unfolds? And if it, it goes through, uh, how do you see this kind of unfolding and, and what it looks like and, and what things will be built out um, and how this will kind of progress and maybe also give a big big grand vision of what you'd like to see uh, happen and what kind of an ideal situation would be. And maybe also kind of share some implications if, if uh, maybe there's some crackdown or something and this doesn't go well. And, and, you know, what, what are the implications of that? Like, what are we, what are we missing out on here? Yeah, I'll, <clears throat> I'll start with the, uh, the ground and go upwards. Uh, our goal is to get the city council to pass this resolution within the next uh, two months. Uh, while we're working with, and it looks like now we have the five votes of the eight, but we're hoping to get unanimous uh, eight out of eight votes on council just to show the support, because then we know that we've touched all the communities in Oakland that we have to, that, that we should touch to get the support of all the council members. Uh, once we get council support, we've already talked with our state representatives, uh, Senator uh, Skinner, Assemblymember Wicks, and Assemblymember Bonta, and they have expressed, each of their offices has expressed an interest in advancing this, but they're looking to see what <clears throat> the city of Oakland will do uh, with respect to passing it, obviously, since Oakland is on the ground. The goal would be to get the uh, city of Oakland to pass this resolution and then get the state representatives to translate that into state legislation that would carry similar spirit of decriminalizing uh, nature. Uh, entheogenic plants, Schedule 1 particularly, as Larry mentioned, um, and, and then to have that moving forward as there are these simultaneous debates uh, going on about which ballot measures should be brought forth, be it psilocybin only or be it mushrooms only, we'd like to have this debate at the statewide level and make sure that our position is there to have, uh, have a home in the statewide debate. Mm -hmm. um, the reason we're not carrying this forth the statewide ballot measure is because when you carry those things forward, you have to raise a lot of money. And in raising a lot of money, you have to make a lot of promises. And in making a lot of promises, you have to decide whether or not you're going to stay true to your core values. Right. So that's the challenge, right? So our goal is to get this to the state level by year end and to have it a core piece of the conversation. On practical terms, it's to use this as an opportunity to increase awareness in our communities particularly the ones we talked about earlier that don't know about the healing power of these plants and fungi, and to bring a greater awareness and then follow that with the tools and the practices to bring access. The vision, the grand vision is start in Oakland, do it statewide, nationally, and then eventually coupling with all the other efforts going on around the world that we rebuild our uh, relationship with these plants that have brought us uh, amazing healing for uh, many, many, many centuries and are working in many cases much better than pharmaceutical uh, substitutes are working for healing some of our greatest challenges. Probably for what Larry mentioned, it really is about our narrative and how to change our narrative. And that's what these things do. Yeah. And, and, and what does that, what does that look like? What does that feel like to you, you know, to, to have this happen and to have this manifest? I mean, what kind of 
society community can you envision being a part of and and what does that feel like you know uh if if you wouldn't mind sharing kind of that that vision um uh from you know obviously entheogens uh can really connect us to one another help us find the others uh bring us more into a, a loving and compassionate worldview more openness and respect for people so yeah i'm i'm, I'm wondering uh What's interesting about the time we find ourselves in, and yeah. I, I've made this pitch to you know, in my investors that, and, and for the project, that projects I'm building around consciousness is uh, we find ourselves in a really interesting time where we no longer have the enemy across the pond uh, pushing communism. So it's no longer capitalism versus communism as, you know, grand economic and political paradigms that you know, have us entrenched in a particular economic and political model, it's wide open now. We know that uh, capitalism, you know, quote unquote, has won, but now we're going to start to transform it from within. And I think there are a lot of people who are afraid of that, but, uh, and so f- they're still perpetuating fear in the form of terrorism and other things that they, they, they push out there. But really, uh, it's happening. In the Bay Area, we have this tremendous um, movement to transform capitalism from within, whether it be compassionate capitalism, whether it be conscious capitalism, uh, but people are really exploring ideas of what that looks like, and these plants will help us get there. Um, so there's that dynamic happening. And then there's also, of course, the internet that has just exploded, and the generation of millennials coming into the workforce now and into politics and transforming the world now. They grew up in a world where information was completely accessible. Uh, quickly and the ability to take information transform it to knowledge transform that to wisdom is happening at an exponential pace now from when i was growing up and when i was young so the people coming into the the political world and economic world are much um, more informed than i was at their age so that's a beautiful thing i'm 50 by the way Um, and and then the third big dynamic is our big push coming from the recognition that climate change is real and we don't know what the impacts are going to be this is causing a consolidation of, of humans across the world to really think as one neural network. And as we're doing that, these plants and our relationship to nature, right, our relationship to nature is going to help uh, in expand our capacity to visualize what's possible. In my own personal journey in the last 30 seconds here, I spent years meditating, doing yoga, running, working out, trying to just overcome some of the karma of my ancestors, the burden and the beauty that I was handed by my ancestors. And I have a complicated story growing up. Um, but I was stuck in, in a worldview that was really defined my, by my um, default mode network. So my first mushroom experience completely did away with my default mode network, as we know happens. And it just it completely expanded my worldview, these conflicting paradigms that I had going on in my mind, these paradoxes that were causing me internal disruption because I couldn't resolve some, some um, worldviews that were happening in my mind that happened with all of us. Suddenly, it all just came together. I saw, well, I won't go too deep, but I saw the beauty of the entire universe, our purpose here, and um, the clarity that came is the clarity that these plants and fungi can offer the world. So it, it's really, um, I think, a tremendous opportunity now to bring it forward. 
Yeah, man. That's awesome. And like uh, with a clarity that one can really only experience through direct experience, through having the experience, uh, you know, not, this clarity isn't only limited to that, but with the kind of clarity that you get from this direct experience, connecting back with nature, you know, ingesting plant substances, uh, medicines, entheogens, you know, this is uh, is super important um, for the human experience. I know, you know, Terrence McKenna had said, like, uh, you know, the outlaw of psychedelics is equivalent to if there was an outlaw on sex. You know, it's an incomplete uh, human experience. Uh, and uh, and really, the the kind of uh, clarity that you feel from this is is um, unparalleled. And uh, that's. Uh, it's a profound thing and it's a special thing and I think it's it's available to everybody and uh, everybody has the right to uh, participate in being a part of nature. So it's wonderful, wonderful work that you guys are, are doing and uh, it's, um, it's tremendous. I, I hope that, uh, that this goes through and, and I wish you the, you know, the best of luck with, the, with these efforts for sure. How can people support you? Yeah, I think um, I think first and foremost, um, one way that people could support us, you could go to our website, uh, decriminalizednature.org, um, or info at decriminalizednature.org for our email. Um, so support us through volunteer or fundraising. We could always um, do that. But I think most importantly is if you live in Oakland, um, to call or write your elected officials, let your um, elected officials know that your constituents are behind this initiative. Um, and that will help because it won't be just us showing up in the offices, talking to everybody, but it'll be a, a larger community having their voices being heard. Excellent. Carlos? Uh, no, I, I support what you said, Larry. Come come to our uh, website, uh, decriminalizednature.org. Um, Is that our website, Larry? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> learn, learn what we're doing and um, initiate it in your own community as you're hearing this. Uh, if you need support, uh, reach out to us. Uh, Larry and others are fantastic at offering support and guidance, and we're happy to help um, uh, support your efforts. Yeah, and I'll just add, you know, I recently made a, a kind of a testimonial video for Decriminalized Denver, uh, just uh, talking about my psilocybin experience and how it's helped me heal some some trauma, pain, and and the you know the importance of this. And uh, you know, I encourage everyone out there, you know, really to uh, in, in order to push the needle forward, uh, you know, if you feel comfortable doing this, please, you know, come out of the psychedelic closet, share your experience, and uh, you know, maybe if you if you feel compelled to. Um, uh, including uh, decriminalized nature in in that message uh, and kind of uh, sharing that. I think that anything we can do to share and spread awareness and educate and share our personal stories, uh, you know, really when you humanize these these things, when you put a face and a story to it, uh, that it really uh, has an impact and and uh, and helps people, um, you know, know that uh, they're not alone and uh, and that we're in this together. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, if I can kind of throw that out there as a voluntary initiative for people to do if that's cool with you guys <laughs> yeah definitely that's great no i think and i think um uh you know that's a big part of this too is, is sort of sort of coming out of the closet and letting people know that you know you're connected or you know because we've been actually surprised by quite a few people that we've had conversations with that after the conversation kind of let us in on like a direct family lineage connection or someone else that's doing this work or a friend that's really into this work. And I think there was some uh, statistic with cannabis um, policy that was saying that uh, the number one thing to shift cannabis policy is not necessarily to be smoking cannabis, but to know somebody who smokes cannabis mm. or 
who ingest cannabis, you know, um, and that actually is the, the significant shifter um, in people's ideas around it because they're able to get through some of the propaganda and some of the stigma that's around it. Think, oh, I know somebody like that, and they don't, you know, follow any of these things. So, so coming out of the closet, letting people, even if it's not publicly, but letting friends and family know, is pretty significant as well. Yeah, I remember uh, one of my first jobs was a sales job, and, and my boss was telling me, like, uh, you know, it takes people seven times hearing the same message before they really get it. You know, so it's like really sharing this, talking about it in different ways, offering different perspectives, um, you know, and and just trying to. Uh, really in, invite this into people's uh, spaces so that they can say, oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Oh, yeah, that's the second time someone's mentioned that. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, maybe I should take a look at that. That's, uh, you know, one of the oldest forms of uh, marketing, word of mouth. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just amazing stuff, guys. Really, really amazing stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it really kind of, um, you know, the work that you're doing. Carlos, uh, before uh, I continue on, Larry, I'd like to spend a little bit more time with you guys. If you have to go, that's totally fine. Uh, but I'd like to maybe shift the conversation a little bit more towards Erie, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Fine. So, yeah, I, you know, as we as we look at this and we're talking about these uh, these things, it's uh, you know Erie uh, specializes in in offering uh, integration and you know different kinds of integration also that we might not find at other places and you know really the one of the biggest things to me is just seeing that uh, you know this effort to decriminalize nature and what you're doing with Erie and all these groups that are popping up and you know my show and other people it's really a voluntary effort of people coming together to build something you know I think Howard Zinn said real democracy in action doesn't start with from the top down it starts from the bottom up and uh, uh, or, yeah so it, it comes from the bottom up and uh, you know this grassroots movement it's not this government mandate you know but it kind of tells you something about our society the kind of society that we live in that that we we we're not this old model is not uh, one of care and, and focused on health and happiness for the individual, the satisfaction and fulfillment of, of the individual. And so it's just a wonderful thing to see people coming together on a voluntary joint effort to push things forward and to make change. And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about how Erie is doing that, the Entheogenic Research Integration and Education uh, platform. And I was wondering, Larry, if you could just talk a little bit about Erie and uh, I don't know, I thought maybe you could just talk a little bit about entheogenic research, integration, and education. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so um, Erie kind of developed, like, like you're saying, you know, trying to find ways to connect community, uh, find ways to um, de-isolate <laughs> people, to, to find ways for people to come together and connect and share experiences, um, you know, all along these same ideas we were talking about earlier, you know, the more people that we share with, the more that we kind of normalize our experiences, the more that somebody can be like, oh, I'm not the only person that's seen multidimensional beings or something <laughs> like that. Let me, let me discuss what, what does that even mean and how does it shift my worldview? So yeah, um, it's not so necessarily of, water cooler talk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, What's interesting is like we found even myself, you know, even good friends that, you know, are in this community often don't have time to sit down for five or 10 minutes as it takes for you to really, you know, unpack all the nuances of your experiences. So um, one of the things that we're working on in terms of integration is this sort of peer model, um, which kind of, you know, has been really amazing, actually. Um, 
because as I was saying earlier, it not only allows for people to share their experiences in community and to be heard from multiple different people, but also that reflections can come from multiple different people. So we get out of the power dynamic that may show up in like a one-on-one scenario where, you know, the one person is going to integrate with their integration facilitator and their, their facilitator is going to tell them, you know, this way or that way. And there's some more directive forms of integration that kind of do that, trying to get to the point. And, and there is a time and place for that you know, in general. Um, but I think that we found that when we do these sort of large groups, um, it's sort of, uh, it allows more information in, uh, it allows for, you know, I find myself, you know, you don't, you know, there's a great, great quote by uh, Francois Bourget, who's, uh, who's, uh, you know, obviously doing some work out here. And she says, you know, with a therapist, you can edit with mushrooms, there's no editing, right? So in mm-hmm, the same kind of, mm-hmm. same kind of the situation, when you're on one on one, you might be able to share a story that the person that you think is listening will want to hear. But when you're in a group of 10 people, you just kind of have to be raw with it because everyone's going to have a different opinion of what your story is. So that's been also really helpful, just uh, seeing people kind of get vulnerable and raw with their experiences in a way that's held, obviously, with a larger group context. But um, but but then hearing the types of experiences and the philosophies and, it's you know, from a facilitation point of view as a peer, it's great just to be able to hear and have an opportunity to see someone's view of consciousness, you know, because that's what people are sharing. You know, this is what I saw when I was in my visual experience. And so um, that's really a a precious gift that's being sort of offered, not just to the integration group, but to each of us in general um, and uh, helps to sort of uh, hone what it is we understand of consciousness and and thought and depression and PTSD and, you know, uh, spirituality and education and creativity and all these things. So, um, so yeah, so that's been kind of our focus for a little while. You know, we have a lot of different ways and models we're going about doing it, but I think what's key with sort of this upcoming decrim nature uh, resolution and a possibility of, um, you know, us developing a trade school is that one element of integration, and this is maybe my opinion and maybe not other people agree with this, but, uh, you know, you sort of have to know the experience, unlike other places where you can right. kind of administer the experience, you know, you know, because, you know, and that works fine within the medical context. You, can, you maybe can hold some space for the person, uh, hold their hand if they need it, give them an eye shade, I'll be here for you know, the next eight hours, et cetera, et cetera. But you're not really engaging with what's going on in the experience. And I think that's totally fine. But I think for myself, at least, I think that if you're going to be doing integration work, you know, I won't do integration work with people that are doing things that I haven't really explored before because I don't feel totally knowledgeable. So to really just uh, to find a place within a, a sort of a new working model of education around integration and hopefully with this initiative moving forward, we'll be able to do something where you know part of the integration curriculum is to offer experiences to people who want to integrate in that realm, that type of thing. So, um, so you know, if, if this was to move through, then we could actually like have an educational place that's above ground, that part of the educational process is learning about the experiences. And, you know, and that's another, another area that we weren't really addressing. Maybe that was being addressed with Fatiman in the late 1960s about creative technical problem solving or education or insights. I know Kenneth Tupper out of Canada is talking a lot about entheogenic education as well. Um, so, you know, what types of things can we learn and how can it help us, uh, as Carlos was saying earlier, be more, you know, eco-aware and being more community aware and all these other things that are part of it. And so integration is like a really complex and far-reaching thing um and you know just coming together you know i think the long history of integration that we've been doing has definitely been helpful because you know part of what we're doing is not just getting rid of stigma and educating people and moving this policy forward but we're also you know asking people graciously to offer their time to put their neck out 
so to speak, and, and be on stage and say, I do this controversial thing. So, you know, that's also not the easiest thing to do if you feel like you're the only person that's doing it or you're alienated, isolated from others in your community. So by doing these integration groups for the last, you know, seven, eight years, I think that's really helped to build communities. And then other groups are starting that they can build communities. And now there is this grassroots support where now people are like, okay, I don't, I can't talk to my water cooler people. I didn't, can't even talk to my friends, but I can talk to that one person who was at that last integration circle who had a similar experience and new friendships are made and new communities are built and these types of things. So uh, this is really critical, you know, I mean, uh, to, I think the overall movement is to really like find a way to settle in. You know, I think integration in general helps to decrease the impact of travelers and tourists and things like that, because now rather than rushing to the next experience to reestablish that same sort of feeling, now you're spending your actual time to do the work, actually like dive into it. And then your next experience, I find for myself at least, your next experiences are better. You know, you don't have to recycle over some of those homework assignments that you didn't do. It's like, oh, okay, ayahuasca, uh, you have these things to do. And then you come back to the experience next time. It's like, you never did these things. So we're <laughs> I've had that happen a couple of times. And you're going to throw <laughs> some purging in there too for you, you know? So Yeah, oh uh, yeah. So, so I think that's, that's really critical. And I think that will help us in general in the future have better experiences, grow as a community better as we're actually able to hold each other and feel like we're, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, invested in each other's journeys as well, which is what it means. <laughs> in our growth we're invested in our, our um you know connection we're invested in uh the, the bonding and things like that because we live together and we're in the neighborhoods and we're yeah and i think that's what's key with the grassroots movement that we're trying oh yeah isn't it so annoying living with other people oh man if they could just <laughs> if they could just think like i thought <laughs> no of course yeah it's you know we're in this thing together you know we're we're we need each other we have to move the needle uh, forward to a better better way of living and you know the 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 experience of sharing is not a experience that is one of hierarchy. Every single person has value to share. And, you know, I maybe earlier on in my explorations have thought, oh, you know, with, with maybe some judgment towards people of, of their experience or just not really listening to them and I want to share my thing or something. But really, I learned the value of that when, when I was working at the Ayahuasca Center in Peru and the daily, you know, after ceremony and then the, the integration circles and going around the room and listening to each and every single diverse individual there from every different kind of background and parts of the world share their interpretation of their experience, sit, listen, and and collectively as a group hold that space and support that individual because they're communicating a, a, they're communicating a story as you were saying before you know these narratives that we shape they're reporting their their news of their experience and uh, and, and the power of that is immense because uh, as we as we share these things as we kind of mind, you know meld our minds together and use the tools of language to merge our our inner worlds that we can start to uh, build new outer worlds, you know? And, and really, decriminalizing nature is so crucial to this because it, it, we need the freedom, the freedom to open ourselves up to different kinds of dimensions of consciousness, different levels of the human experience, explore these new thoughts, and then share them uh, with, with freedom without the fear of being uh, persecuted, oppressed, or, uh, or anything like that. So uh, it's truly a remarkable thing uh, to be offering this to people. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. It is uh, one of the most important things that we can do 
um, in, yeah, in our communities. I, oops, sorry. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, just kind of just to piggyback on that, too. It also, you know, there's a sense in sort of society and general society that we can't trust the general person. We need somebody to put regulations on that. And I think that's that's another thing about these circles is that we start to be able to trust and empower yeah. each other and to be like, oh, wow, like there's there's five, 10, 20 specialists in this room right here. I don't need to go anywhere for this. And um, and so that also kind of like, you know, because as Carlos was saying earlier, we're talking about this sort of vegetable approach, vegetable and fruits approach to this non-regulatory, uh, leave the government out of our relationship. And so to be able to come together, connect with each other, bring trust back to each other, empower each other to, to do this work, um, I think is also critical to the integration, you know, sort of theory in general that we've been working on. Um, uh, but, you know, within that, you know, integration is also education. It's, you know, before and after, you know, you could use integration as a general umbrella topic to talk about everything. Um, but, you know, there are definitely sort of these really awesome developing techniques that are emerging, which is fun to see. And I know Temple of the Way of Light actually focuses a lot on integration as well, which mm -hmm. is one of the few ayahuasca centers that does. So that's really great. Yeah, I really learned a lot being there, um, especially working with uh, Tanya, uh, formerly Tanya yeah, Mate, um, mm -hmm. now Tanya Kamonin, uh, who, shout out to her, just had a beautiful baby boy. So congratulations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and sort of that, you know, Gabor Mate approach, uh, compassionate uh, inquiry. And uh, it's, uh, it's just such a wonderful thing to be a part of and to witness and to see and to try and take what I know from that and uh, help in any way I can with people around me. So yeah, wonderful. Um, one of the questions I have uh, regarding inter integration is, you know, I, I remember this quote from Krishnamurti that says like it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society and so i think one of the maybe misconceptions sometimes that that i hear with uh integration is that we're oh we're just trying to like plug back into this model and i know the the microdosing um the movement or whatever gets criticized for this of like oh well you're just uh trying to get you know you're just using these sacred substances as now tools to be more like obedient and proficient workers and i don't necessarily believe that's the the case what do you guys think about that well i mean it definitely is that's how it's being plugged kind of in the media out here which is like you know do be get your next next million dollar idea or you know silicon valley this that, and the other so there is that <laughs> kind of like you know at least the media presence is speaking to that a little bit um as far as uh um you know microdosing but i think what you know there's a sort of a deeper level that you just sort of speaking to about plugging integrated eating integration is plugging back into a sick society which uh when you really uh some of the dissertation work I'm working on right now is really breaking down integration into kind of three or four different capacities. You have uh, assimilation, accommodation, and synthesis. So assimilation is like you plug things, okay, you have these ideas and you fit them back into the box, right? Okay, you're assimilating the ideas to live on with your life, which is a totally great way to do this and, and probably works really well for, you know, family traumas or other things like that that you have had trouble with. <clears throat> the next one is accommodation. Accommodation means that you have to expand your worldview in order to include the insights that you have. So that doesn't necessarily get plugged back in the same box. It forces you to have to reconsider the box and expand it in such a way that it allows these new insights to come in. So, for example, um, spirits exist or there's an animistic life, you know, like things are alive, these types of things. Okay, I have to expand my understanding of the world in order to integrate that experience. And then I guess the final one, which not really many people talk about, and it's not really in too much research, but uh, I've been really curious about it because of the types of experiences I've seen in, in my dissertation, which is this idea of synthesis, which is, um, you know, 
nothing in the worldview that you have currently is working. So you have to sort of synthesize a whole new worldview in order to integrate that experience, not just an expansion. Okay. Like I'll add these couple extra things to my worldview and it makes it better, but it's like, wow, everything's shot in this worldview. I need to sort of recreate altogether. So, um, so that's really, uh, an interesting sort of additional element. So for example, I could imagine that a hardcore materialist who doesn't believe anything in spirit, it might be different for them. Whereas I might be, we just have to accommodate to include spirit. That might be a totally renewal of all different worldview type things. So, so integration has a lot of different qualities to it. And it depends on really where the person's starting from, what they're trying to integrate, the insights that they have, you know, and there's uh, had one, one of the uh, interesting, uh, um, what do you call, uh, 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 transcripts we have from uh, one of my dissertation uh, quotes was really great. And he had a whole other idea of integration, which really doesn't kind of fit into any of these, which is the idea that, uh, you know, we're doing it wrong with integration because uh, this realm is the illusion and our soul home is somewhere else. And we're actually integrating the illusion, this realm into that experience. Mm. So he was saying, we're not integrating that experience here to this world but we're learning as much as we can. So when we go back to our original soul home, we can bring all this back. Wow. So, you know, depending upon your worldview kind of shifts what you think about integration, but I think that's critical and key. And that was, what's great with uh, Tanya. And uh, I think we also, um, uh, Julie Megler, who's the chair board of Erie and Tanya and um, uh, uh, Kathleen McLean did mm-hmm. a, a workshop at the maps conference post workshop uh, or the psychedelic science 2017 conference. And so that was really great because you got to see the different worldviews. You got to see the different approaches. You got the sort of, we did like experimental um, moments where, you know, each person kind of transitioned between each of our different groups to see the different ways that integration looked. So I think that's key, you know, like right now we're still learning about it, which is great. Um, but to really like keep these ideas in mind, like, like you say, we're not just trying to like plug back into society, but we're trying to use these insights to see how society shifts and chains and moves according to uh, our new ideas you know yeah amazing so we're 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 heading up on uh, almost an hour and a half we're probably gonna wrap soon i was wondering before we do you know we've kind of been talking about this from a little bit of a high level uh, approach and uh i was wondering if you guys might want to share some experiences that you've had uh that were very profound and and uh eye-opening uh or you know, really impactful on you and then um, how you maybe integrated those. I don't know if we're going to have enough time for the kind of the full, uh, you know, details of, uh, of the experience and the integration, but uh, whatever comes to your mind that you feel comfortable sharing. And uh, that would be, that'd be interesting to hear. I'll give a quick 30 second kind of way out there one sure. just for the fun of it. My, my challenge is always, and I think most of our challenge, many of our challenges as human beings is what do we do with death? Right. Mm. Uh, and, and, and infinity, meaning the, the possibility of everything. Mm-hmm. My first experience as a seven-year-old, I had um, this really deep understand, um, experience where I tried to reconcile what infinity was, and it, it tormented <laughs> me for all of you know, 30 years. Um, like uh, Woody Allen and Annie Hall. <laughs> There you go. And, um, but coupling that with nothingness, right? You get nothing and you have infinity and what the hell is in between is our life. And, um, and so, but you have to reconcile those or or it's just kind of can torment you a bit. So I had this wonderful uh, mushroom experience where I actually saw the infinite and I had a wonderful ayahuasca experience where I experienced the nothingness. Wow. both of them were um, real in my narrative. They they felt very real, and they reconciled all of my uh, loose threads uh, of life, so to speak. So it, it just brought a high level of peace. But it's what I needed. 
right? Other people need other things, but that was my particular uh, unreconciled challenges. Right. Yeah. A high level of peace. Uh, so important. And, and death, something that doesn't get talked about so much. It's this taboo thing. It's a scary thing. And it's this horrible thing. And, uh, you know, people aren't even allowed to die the way that they want to. They have to be hooked up to machines and all this stuff. And, you know, the Johns Hopkins studies that showed the, the ease of, of uh, an, uh, anxiety around death. Uh, this is so important, you know. And uh, so, wow, to have those experiences, uh, amazing. And uh, definitely a big part of what needs to be uh, addressed in, in our world today, for sure. Uh, Larry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, for me too, same thing, you know, I mean, uh, I think for me it was, you know, the, the experiences that shifted my perspective from this is my higher self to, Oh, there are other things out there, you know, like <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe I can still think to myself, Oh, maybe that was just my higher self, but there's definitely like the, the profound experiences with ayahuasca where there's like a multidimensionality to it where mm. like the, the fabric of the universe was pliable and you can move through it. Yeah. But there were beings on the other side that were telling me things that there's no way in hell that I would have been able to imagine any of this stuff. <laughs> so it's like, how is my own head? You know I mean? I think Benny Shannon, who's an ayahuasca researcher said, you know, if, if uh, ayahuasca is a representation of the mind, then we have a lot more to learn about the mind. And yeah. Paraphrase, something like that. So, um, so I think you know, that those are pretty powerful for me as far as like shifting this from like, oh, okay, this is something that's internal to like, oh, wow, this is a, a more of a unity oriented or a, a connection oriented. And, you know, I mean, I think the key with ayahuasca too, is that it's not this sort of, it's unity, but it's a different kind of unity. Whereas like the Johns Hopkins studies talk about this unit of mystical experience, this blissful experience, everything leads to one. With ayahuasca, I also had the sense of multiplicity is the one. So everything is you know, one is in everything instead of everything is one and allows for the nuances and the richness and diversity and sort of the, the characters of all these different things to really stand out. And I think that was really uh, profound for me as well. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, I just got, almost got chills when you were describing that because I've, I've experienced that too. And it's like, man, how do you bring that back to this world and explain that? It's like, you know, uh, leave it up to the experience. You know, I think just like we Sometimes were talking those experiences, about. I'm sorry. Sometimes those experiences are best just to like, just knowing that it exists, you right. know, bring it back, just the awareness of like, oh yeah that that experience is available <laughs> right right yes and then that informs your your life and yeah i'm just, i just keep thinking about the terence mckenna sex you know comparison and you know it's like trying to uh, tell uh, talk about it or something like that and it's just like okay maybe you just have to experience that and um yeah such a great uh, analogy well uh, guys uh, i mean it's a pleasure i mean really uh it's it's been a great conversation i really enjoyed the the both of you coming on today and sharing these uh, wonderful things that you're doing uh for people that want to get involved uh, all the notes will be in in the uh the all the links will be in the show notes de decriminalize nature.org um you know go there get involved uh eerievision.org and um yeah. Uh, any, uh, any closing statements for the record, I guess, uh, anything that, uh, maybe I didn't ask you guys wanted to get to or mention speak now or forever hold your, uh, mushrooms. <laughs> Carlos, you want to go? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. I'll hold my mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think in general, just, uh, just, you know, a lot of gratitude for, like you said earlier, that this, uh, this sort of, uh, voluntary uh, um, sort of uh, buy-in by everybody that's doing this work and has been doing this work for a really long time and, and is all seeing that this is, you know, important. The window of opportunity is open for us to get this, uh, 
these projects sort of moving forward. And so it's really just sort of a bunch of gratitude to everybody out there that's doing this work because, uh, you know, this isn't, you know, this is an Oakland-based initiative, but it's it's also feeding to the larger community as well. So, um, yeah, so I guess that would be for me just, just a lot of gratitude there. Awesome. Mike, yeah. Thank you, thank you for doing this, uh, doing this work and having this podcast and, and bringing light to these issues. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, of course. I, I, I don't have any choice. I have to do this. <laughs> um, I know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's it's wonderful. And, and same, you know, for you guys. Uh, very grateful. So, yeah. And also people go to uh, Decriminalize Nature on, on Instagram and uh, and Eerie, uh, Eerie Vision on, on Instagram, too, because uh, you guys are always uh, posting wonderful things there. So uh, that's how I kind of uh, came across you. And, uh, yeah, what a wonderful uh, experience to sit here and, and talk to you guys. So thank you very much. Thank you to everyone listening. Go check out that stuff. Larry, Carlos, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, everyone. Peace. Mike, thank, thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Hope you guys like these podcasts and enjoy them. And if you do, please spread the podcast, share it. Tell a neighbor, tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a cat, tell a mouse, tell a dog, tell an ant, tell a firefly, tell whoever you tell. Share it, spread it, like it, all that good stuff. If you if you really love the show, you want to go a step further, you really want to help us out, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts um, and go to patreon.com, patreon slash Mike Brank and um, patreon.com slash Mike Brank and you can donate as little as a dollar a month, two dollars a month, whatever you want help support the show that way as well but remember i love you guys no matter what you do i just love that you tune in and you enjoy these podcasts message me i like hearing feedback get in touch with me on instagram mikeadelic podcast mike brank on facebook as well and um thanks to our sponsors synchro and hemp bombs if you want a discount on keto genic and plant-based nutrition products go to synchro and type in the code uh mikeadelic at checkout to get 20 percent off and they have amazing ketogenic chocolate fudge called keto mana that i have all the time because it's it has like no sugar and carbs in it so it's great and um and it's delicious and if you want cbd uh go to hempbombs.com and get 15 percent off all your cbd needs i guess and uh just enter the code Mike15 at checkout. But thank you once again to everybody. Thanks to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. I love you all. Peace.